but honor tonight. And uh, honor is about how do we bring the best out of each other? How do we accomplish? How do we create a, a culture uh, where it's safe to grow, it's safe to speak, it's safe to be heard? And um, quite honestly, there's no way to do it without risk. And we're going to just start off with uh, Jesus in this quite well-known uh, situation where he's in Bethany having supper at a friend's house. The friend's house is Simon the leper. Um, and Jesus is, is it's two between 2 and 6 because there are different uh, versions say it's 6 days, some say before the Passover. It's very shortly before Jesus is going to be uh, crucified. And uh, Jesus is having supper with these uh, this, this group of people in Simon's house. And it's a, an occasion where there are a whole, kind of, a whole lot of different people there. And the dynamics between the people are quite interesting if, if one sort of slows down and looks at this passage. The chief priests and the law uh, and, and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and to kill him. Which is more than just, I, I think they're out to get me. This was a violent culture. It was a violent society. And there was a real threat over his life. And when Jesus uh, prayed in Gethsemane, he wasn't saying, yeah, here I am going to the crucifixion. Father, you know, just let's, let's go for it. He said, let this cup flow, you know, be taken from me. As a man, he was afraid. As a man, he didn't want to go in this route. But he also knew that he had to. And so the humanity of Jesus is very real in these last weeks before his death. He's not just the Son of God waltzing through death because he knows he's got resurrection. He's a man who's poured his life into people who are going to betray him. He's a man who's poured his life into manifesting the love of the Father to people, healing the sick, pouring out his, his, his goodness to people and, and getting slapped every time or a lot of the time. Being totally, if you want to you know, have somebody who empathizes with not being appreciated, talk to Jesus. If you want to have... Uh, set to, you know, if you want empathy for pouring your life into something and seeing little results, talk to Jesus. The Son of God spent three years on earth and ended up with nobody at his death, apart from a few people in his family. The people that he had invested all his time in at the moment of crisis pretty much all abandoned him. There are lots of touch points when we have issues in our lives to remember what God went through in Jesus, to encourage us, to say we're not alone. And they're at this uh, supper and Jesus is facing people out to kill him. He's facing, he knows he's going to face the cross because he's read the Old Testament, he's read the prophecies. And it struck me how remarkable it is that Jesus is so at peace I mean, if it was me in the supper and I was going to die next week, I'd be saying, you know what I'm dealing with? I mean, give me a break. You've just told me you've got a cold. You think I care? Do you know what I'm dealing with? I'm pretty stressed out right now, and I might be the center of attention while I tell you all about my stress so that you can feel sorry for me or you can just know how, how amazing it is to be me. You don't know what I'm going through right now. 
You can imagine the kind of conversations you could have. And Jesus has nothing of that in this, in this passage, in this dinner party, as they would say in England. Uh, there was none of that self-awareness that says, look at me. It was just Jesus reclining at a table with some people. Martha was cooking the meal, because that's what Martha did. And Mary wasn't, because that's what Mar Mary didn't do. And they'd already had a fight about that. And Martha had already come and said to Jesus, tell the woman to come and help me. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you remember what he said? Chill out. Mary's doing the better thing. And Martha must have really been ticked off by that. Order in a pizza, Martha. Come and sit down next to me. But that's not what we're talking about tonight. And they're having this meal. Jesus is reclining. And this woman, who is identified as Mary in the other Gospels, comes in with this uh, jar of ointment, nard, that in today's values, I looked it up, it's between fifteen and $25,000 value. And she comes into this room, and in some of the Gospels, they say she's, she weeps behind Jesus, then she anoints his feet, she anoints his head. She breaks this jar, or she just empties it over him. It's difficult for us in our culture. It's like smearing brill cream all over you. And, you know, it doesn't sound very honoring. But in that culture, it, there's something about the anointing of oil. And the fragrance is powerful. Nard is meant to be incredibly powerful in the term of the smell, the fragrance of nard. And Mary comes in and she just uh, pours herself over Jesus. And as soon as she does that, the whole you could have probably cut the atmosphere in the room with a knife. Because she comes in and she does this extravagant gesture to Jesus. And immediately some of them berate her. You can read it where they say, uh, some of those present were, were saying indignantly to one another, and they rebuked her harshly. And what they said was, what a waste of resource and what a waste of money. What are you doing, woman? You have just poured $15,000 down the drain or dumped it over this man's head. You could have actually done something positive with it. You could have given it to the poor. You could have gone and given it to the Salvation Army. You could have done this, you could have done this, and you could have done this. And they were furious with her because she, they just said, what a waste. And Jesus, I think, lifted his voice and just said, wait, whoa, 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 wait a minute. He said to, to them, um, why are you indignant at her? Why are you speaking like that to her? She has done a beautiful thing. And he talks about his burial and he talks about preparing his body for death. But what Jesus is doing is saying to them, um, you're not seeing what she's seeing. Who is this woman? Who was Mary? Mary was a prostitute. Mary was somebody whose life was nothing. Mary was somebody who was totally devalued. She was objectified by men. She had become an object of lust. 
She might have been delivered of seven demons. Deeply wounded. I wonder what she would have said about her father. And somewhere along the line, fairly early on in Jesus' ministry, he met her. And he delivered her of demons and he set her free from the, from the, the things that haunted her. And he gave her a new life and he called her up into being a woman. And he called her his friend. And she was virtually dead and she came alive. And now she had the perception to realize that maybe the end was coming for Jesus. And she was beside herself. And she said, how can I express to him gratitude for what he has given to me? Because he gave me my life back. And so she has this nod, and I don't know how she got it, but it was the most valuable thing she had. And she brings it in, and she lavishes it on Jesus. And the people around her are just offended. All they see is money and waste. All Jesus sees is something very beautiful. And what is Mary saying? Mary is saying um, in a male-dominated society where she probably knew what she was going to get. She was saying, the value that you gave to me, the honor that you gave to me, has so transformed me that this $15,000 is nothing. I pour this over you in gratitude because it's all I have. But all I have is nothing compared to what you've already given me. Which is why Jesus in Luke 7 tells the story. To You see, Jesus looks around the room and he says, in the room, he says, what does he say? He looks at Simon and he says, Simon, I know what you're thinking. Because Simon is looking at this woman coming in to his dinner party and he's going, oh my I told the bouncers to keep the guys out. She's creating a scene. She's getting emotional and she's making a mess. And Jesus says, Simon, there were two people and they uh, both owed money. One, one person owed $500 and the other owed $50,000. And the, the person to whom they owed these debts cancelled them both. Who do you think will be most grateful for the debt cancelled. And Simon says, well, I, I guess the person who owed the most. And Jesus said, you're correct. And then he does this profound teaching where he just says, she who's been forgiven much will love much. Simon, when I came into your home, you didn't wash my feet. When I came into your home, you didn't really... Kiss me as is the custom. When I came into your home, you didn't greet me as a friend. You didn't show me the hospitality that demonstrated very much honoring to me. Probably the truth is Jesus is there as a celebrity guest to make Simon look good. And so Jesus makes this profound statement where he just says, uh, the one who's been forgiven much 
will love much. And by the way, what she has done is so beautiful and so powerful that the story about her will be told as long as the scriptures are read. And the story is in all four of the Gospels. And it struck me that when you look at Jesus' life, um, you don't get many accounts of people giving gifts. You don't get many accounts of generosity being shown to Jesus. They brought him frank, uh, myrrh, frankincense and gold when he was a baby. They were kings from faraway places. But this is the one account of somebody who was close to him giving him something lavishly. And I think he was very touched by that. He was very moved by that. And he said to the, the people gathered around, he said she did what she could. And that's all that God ever actually asks. And that's all that God ever expects. Do what you can. But what, what Mary so profoundly states by what she says was that I am deeply moved by what you have given me and this is my response to you. You see, honor is about responding. Honor is about recognizing God's hand on our lives to the degree that I cannot keep silent. I cannot be indifferent. I cannot not respond. When you don't know that level of God's love, what you do is you begin to look at the other stuff. And so every demonstration of anything, you just go, how much is it going to cost? When you haven't got the love of Jesus going deep into your heart that we know, you know is generous and outrageous and passionately given over to you, you become a critic. And you stand back and you actually don't like the demonstration of emotion that anybody shows towards God. You call them a fanatic. You call them outrageous. You criticize the way they do it. And you say, what a waste of money. And what you do is you begin to extrapolate. You begin to describe things in the abstract. So you, when you see something, you say, you could have given it to the poor. And you have this idealistic stuff that you always talk about. And you, you always create these arguments about why you shouldn't do it like that and why you shouldn't do it like that and why you shouldn't do it like that and how you should do it. And Jesus kind of just cuts right into it and he says, you'll always have the poor with you, but I am with you right now. And right now, she is the only one who has been generous, who has actually responded to my love in a passionate way. And I want to encourage us to understand something, that you've all just received gifts tonight. Don't despise little things. Because it's really easy for us to go, no, that, gifts, that doesn't quite cut it for me. And you might find that your whole life is about, that's not good enough, that's not good enough, that's not high enough, that's not low enough, that's not deep enough. And you say, I never hear God. And God says, I'm talking to you all the time. But you're so opinionated and you're so wrapped up in yourself that you never hear me. Because I'm speaking all the time. And I'm speaking primarily to your heart. And when you've been forgiven much, you will love much. 
But you're not going to be loving much in a kind of insipid way. You're just going to rise up and say, Jesus, what can I give you in response? Does it make sense? You see, it's not about God getting us to perform. It's about God letting us have eyes to see what he's already done and us stepping into that. Because what else is happening in the story? There's Simon the leper. Who do you think Simon the leper is? Simon is a leper. Deeply, deeply significant. I had to go to college for that. <laughs> leper in the Greek means leper, as they say. Now, why would Simon be in a gathering of people at his house having supper as a leper, do you think? Thank you, ladies. The geniuses in the front have told us he must have been healed, otherwise he wouldn't allowed to be allowed to be there. Don't confuse it with facts. Let's just keep the story going here. Um, no, there's Simon the leper. What do you mean? The other one's Simon Peter. What Simon? Simon the Pharisee might have been Simon the leper because that if you read the different accounts... Uh, yeah, that's the same Simon. I'm talking about the same Simon. All, all four accounts are slightly different... Uh, different storylines, but it's probably the same event. But Simon did, Simon, that Simon then didn't have the same love um, exchange that Jesus says the woman did. No. Simon is consistent throughout the four stories. He's a leper, it's his house, and he's probably a Pharisee. So, it's, but she, he's, he's, he, the contrast, yes, is he, he has Jesus at his house, but he doesn't have Jesus in a sense in his heart. Whereas this woman, uh, Jesus has touched her life in such a way that she says, it's a bit like David saying, I'll, I'll be indignant before the Lord, I will dance outrageously. There's an element of, I don't care what you think. I care what he thinks. You know, you go to all the stores now and you can say dance as if you were just dancing for an audience of one. You can buy the precious moments things, you know. Well, the, the sentiment of that is actually... Um, Maybe stop worrying about what other people think and start wondering what Jesus thinks. And, uh, and so Simon, Simon is this leper who's probably been healed by Jesus. And when Jesus is watching this woman who's been healed of her prostitution and of her broken life and of her demonic possession, Jesus could well have said to Simon, you were a leper. And you haven't responded with the same sense of gratitude as she has responded. Because Simon's probably thinking, couldn't help my leprosy. You know what she did. Which is what we do as Christians. We compare each other. You did what? <whistles> Just a prayer request. I wanted to have a prayer request. That's how we gossip. We have prayer requests. Just want to tell you, please pray for Jim. And this is why you should pray for... Oh, really? I didn't know that. Well, yes, what else should we pray for? Well, I don't know. Oh! Do you want to have him in your house? No, I don't think so. Thank you. Because we have this pecking order of sins, apparently. If you're a prostitute, you're really in trouble. If you launder your money or you do all kinds of other respectable things, 
that are dishonest, you don't have the same, you know what I'm saying. And before God, he just goes, it's all filthy rags. You should all be breaking jars of ointment. Really. Not because I need them. It's just because it's like I always remember going to the Eiger and seeing this massive mountain and just going, wow. Or going to the Grand Canyon and going, that's amazing. Because if you see the Grand Canyon, you have to gasp. When you see Jesus, you have to gasp. If you haven't gasped, you haven't seen Jesus. If he hasn't taken your breath away, you haven't seen him. You've talked about him, but you've never seen him. Because you can't help it. And once you've gasped, you will never catch your breath again. And if you do catch your breath, you've looked away. There was somebody else in that story like that, Judas. When Judas saw this woman behaving like an idiot, all he could see was the waste of money. And he rebuked her. He said, what a waste woman. And then within 24 hours, Judas is crossing the street. And he's talking to the temple leaders. And he's selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. What a waste. The man who despised that woman for the generosity of her heart was so cheap, he ended up selling his soul for 30 pieces of silver, which is what people who are critical do. They settle for less. It's a devil's bargain. They criticize God's grace in somebody, and in their critical spirit, they trade off for something far less. And eventually the truth dawns on them. And like Judas, they go, oh God, what have I done? Now Jesus is gracious enough to say, just come back and repent. Judas didn't get that far. He killed himself. See, honor is about placing people before me and saying, you are worthy, you have value. And what Mary understood was that the value God had given to her was profoundly more than she could ever repay. What do you think the value is that God pours over you? What value do you place on your own life? I'm not talking about a superficial, egotistical self-centeredness. I'm talking about a value that you have been bought for a price, is what Paul says. You are God's treasure. He delights in you. Not just so that you can say, oh, I'm God's treasure. But how can I be spent for him? He has a clip about honor that I think is helpful as we just wind this down. Because I want to root this in our own culture and root this in our own time. What has become one of those phrases that when you hear it, you think, Bethel. And that is a culture of honor. And you know, just... How would you define a culture of honor? Uh, I think I would define it differently than most people. Most people define it as um, celebrating some people, um, you know, giving recognition to. So we we classically define a culture of honor as we are we are kind or we are polite or we are 
we are respectful of, of, of the people around us. And all those things are very important. Yeah. But those are more behaviors in, in protecting connections. A culture of honor to me and, and, and in my environment really is about learning to live with other powerful people. That the people around me yeah. get to be fully themselves. They don't have to be me. They don't have to be the leader, you know, like the leader. Yeah. They get to be themselves, just like each instrument gets to be itself mm -hmm. in an orchestra. You know, uh, we don't want everybody to be a violin, even though we have amazing <laughs> violins. We have amazing violins, but we don't want everybody to be a violin. We need everybody to be uniquely them. And that is commonly threatening to people because when we are different, we disagree more often. Right. So you mean you have disagreements in your team? We have to, or else some, something's wrong. See, there's something wrong if we're not uh, having to work together to blend how you and I bring a synergy to the team. If if that goes away, then, then one of us disappeared, and that's not okay with us. Yeah. We need everybody to show up because we need everybody's strength to what we're doing. And a culture of honor teaches us how to empower the people around us. Even though we disagree, we still have to be powerful and protect the relationships. And then how do we confront? How do I confront when the, when your powerful is injuring me or disempowering me? How do I let you know that without hurting our relationship, without accusing you? How do we communicate in such a way that you see me while you're being you and I see you while I'm being me? And then we protect that with the way we interact and adjust to the different needs that we have. I think that's a very cool definition of honor. Did you get it? Which means we turn up and we, we are authentically who we are. And authentically who we are is not perfect, it's just where we are. And we actually start taking responsibility for building something that is bigger than ourselves. You see, what we do all the time is we hide. And we hide away from things and, and we don't honor because we actually don't express what we think. We don't express who we are. We call that conflict. I actually believe everybody is very strong. I don't think there's some strong people and there's some weak people. I think everyone has very strong willpower. And everyone has, very has a lot of strength in them. But some people hide it. They get sick inside. We're called to be people who come to the table like Mary, as it were. And Jesus said she gave what she could. And we give what we can. And I think we need to stop worrying about conflict. And start saying, just, what do you think? What are you feeling right now? For God's sake, make a contribution. And let's for, and I'm saying that in, a, in, a, in not a blasphemous way. Let's not undervalue each other. If you express something and it's not God's anointed word, or I express something and it's not God's anointed word, so what? It's part of something that might add to the mix and add flavor to it, and it might bring about change. Does that make sense? It's one of the things God's been speaking to us about, about passivity. You see, it's easy to be negative and it's easy to be critical and it's easy to be silent. 
And what happens there is you just mutter. Like the people who came out of Egypt, they muttered. And you mutter. And honoring is about recognizing that if you express where you are and you actually offer it as a either a, a concern or, or I don't understand or this is what I think, the culture we want to develop is, well, let's listen to that then. It doesn't mean to say everything's going to change just because you've said something, but it's important that it's said. Are you following me? It's spiritual to say, I'm going to go and pray about it. But it's not helpful. Let's talk about it and pray. Let's communicate and pray. Let's be present for one another. And Jesus, when he was in that room, was present. And Mary was present. And the others were observing and critiquing. But their hearts weren't open. It's very, very easy for us to be present and closed. It takes a risk to be vulnerable. It takes a risk to say, this is what I think. And I pray that God will continue to teach us how to be present for one another. How we actually can communicate and have the courage to speak. It's very easy to assume that somebody's going to reject you or somebody's not going to listen. Is this making sense? Not really. So we become the solution. We become part of the process that God has for us. There's a final uh, quote that I just want to read you, which is about, uh, says this. Putting love first is not a sacrifice, it is a joy. It is a pleasure to love people, even if they are being unkind and ungracious, because love is who you want to be. Make it a pleasure to love people. You are not loving them so that they will change. You are loving them because they are worth loving. You are loving them because that is the way that you want to be. And I would suggest the only way we can love people like that is to receive the love of the Father ourselves. And then we start saying, Lord, what are you saying in this situation? And how can I be a contribution? And how can I make a difference? Let's stand and ask him to continue to work out that which he's doing in us. The reason I get you to stand is just to wake up. Uh, but it's also a better posture because, you know, God, God's always wanting to pour out His Spirit on us. He's always wanting to empower us. He's always wanting to engage us. And He's usually wanting to engage us at a heart level. So as we stand here right now, let's just say to the Lord, what uh, contribution am I? And I pray, Father, that you would just help us see ourselves as you saw Mary that you draw out of us the riches of your goodness. We pray that we might be identified by the way you see us, Jesus, not the way that we have become or the things that have happened to us being what control us. We pray that you release into our hearts generosity, 
Listen to your heart right now. And listen to what's going on in your heart. Does your heart fight? Is your heart open? Is your heart closed? Where is your heart? You can give God permission to open your heart. You can say, God, I don't know how to, but I give you permission. That I might know your love in my heart like the Father's love. So Holy Spirit, will you come and take some of these words, some of these thoughts and make them real in our hearts? Maybe if your tendency has been to be critical, your tendency has been to withdraw and observe and not get involved. Maybe God the Father tonight says, you know, I want to draw you closer to my heart. I want you to, to draw you closer to my heartbeat that you would be able to lavishly express my generosity to others. So receive the love of the Father again tonight. He's present with us right now. Not when we leave, not when we go back and think about it. He's present right now. And He says, all I have is yours. I call you by name. And all I ask is, as with Mary, you give what you can. But the value I have placed upon you is that I've poured out my life for you. I didn't keep anything back. Because your value to me is priceless. And Father, we pray that you give us a deep sense of our value. Not rooted in what other people think of us, but rooted in who you are and what you think of us. And we ask that you give us a passion like Mary to give back to you with openness and generosity of all that we are and all that we have. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Give us hearts that are, are full of gratitude for where you have met with us. That we would walk with humility. And Father, we pray for our culture as a church that we would be a place where we can take risks, where we can speak out and where we can be heard. We can learn together and grow together. So we pray for one another that we would be those who will, who will show up and speak up and contribute as we together discern and seek your purposes for this place. In Jesus' name. Amen.